Well, good morning and welcome to everyone. It's good to see everybody out on a uh, hot July day. Um, I try not to complain because I hate the cold so much that I don't uh, want to complain with the heat. But anyway, good to have you with us today. Uh, you know, I love what we're able to do and be a part of, including uh, uh, the trip to Memphis that we get a chance to share in. And also last week, we were able to pack over 41,000 meals uh, to send to India. So there'll, there'll be people eating in India uh, that you and I had, uh, had hands-on with gloves, of course, that we did that. Uh, but that's really pretty cool. Well, it's great to have you with us today. We are in a series on the book of First Peter. And this has been an amazingly practical book uh, as we get through it. And today is no different. We're going to be talking about a subject that is real, uh, is, is real to all of us, and all of us will experience at some point. And that is the topic of suffering. And I want to tell you about two people to kind of jump off uh, this morning. First of all, uh, the young man named Fred Shipman, he was, he was a mama's boy, uh, loved his mama and really, really close to her. But his mother suffered a long and agonizing illness, and she died when, when Fred was 17 years old. Uh, another little girl, her name was Mary Teresa, and she was a ta daddy's girl. I've got three of those, uh, daddy's girls. And her father died when she was eight years old. And both of those two children were deeply impacted by the loss of their parents. In fact, Mary Teresa grew up to become a Catholic nun who was known as Mother Teresa, founder of the Missionaries uh, of Charity, and she worked in the uh, slums of India, uh, showing compassion uh, to people who uh, are broken and, and so poor. Uh, Fred Shipman grew up to be a doctor, uh, no doubt because of the loss of his mother. But he also became the most prolific serial killer in the history, admitting they killed at least 250 people. Now, both of those young people had similar experiences when they were young. They lost someone. They suffered through the loss of a loved one, a parent. But there was something that made the difference in how their lives turned out. Their reaction to suffering and loss made them, one of them better and the other one very bitter. And so today we're going to be talking about suffering and how we deal with that because it's a part of our lives and it, different facets of, of suffering that we're all going to experience at certain times as we live. It's just a part of living. And the Bible talks a lot about suffering. The Bible's real, very realistic about suffering. The Bible tells us that even Christians suffer, that there are things that happen in our lives that, that are difficult for us. And obviously people are going to suffer at different levels and they're going to suffer for different reasons. Uh, we're going to suffer primarily because we're living in a broken and, uh, and deserted sin-diseased world, and everybody who is born is going to suffer. It is a part of the human condition. There's just no way to get around that. We're going to experience physical suffering because we have human frail bodies. We're going to experience financial suffering at times. We're going to have emotional suffering. We're going to have maybe even spiritual suffering. So understand that suffering is common to every person who lives, and also understand, too, that, that not only are we uh, susceptible, sometimes we're not just the victim of suffering, because some of our suffering comes because we bring it on ourselves, because we do certain things that, that make us suffer, or even worse sometimes, we bring suffering on other people. We cause them to suffer by our decisions and the things that we do. So suffering is common to all of us. However, though, we can choose how we respond to suffering. Even though we can't escape it, we can choose how we respond and how it will impact our lives, just like Fred and Teresa did. 
And we're going to choose whether we were channel our suffering to make us better or to make us bitter. And when, you know what, when suffering of any time comes, we can either respond in the flesh or in the spirit. And that's going to be the difference there. You look at those two extreme um, examples I gave you. Mary Teresa gave her life to God by giving it to people through the spirit. And Fred chose to become no doubt very wealthy, but very much consumed by the flesh and by evil. Next week, we're going to talk about the way that sometimes we can suffer specifically because we are a Christian. And there is many times we will suffer as Christians. But today, we're going to deal with suffering that comes because we're human, that every one of us can identify with. And how we respond to that makes all the difference in the world. So let's read together our scripture, 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil, human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now, since Jesus came in an earthly body, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer like we do. He knows what it's like to hurt and to have the, uh, any, any, all type of hurt, for example, physical pain. Jesus was a carpenter, and we know that in that day, most building was done with, uh, with stone. He was a mason, probably. And you don't handle rocks, and you don't build things without dropping one on your finger at some point, or your toe, uh, without the bruises and the cuts, and, uh, and all the different injuries that he had physically. So Jesus knows what it's like for the body to hurt. He knows what it's like to be sick, and he understands that. Jesus knows what it's like to have emotional pain, the hurt when you've been rejected by friends, when someone that you care for has betrayed you, he knows what that's like. He knows what it's like for family members not to be behind him or support of him. He knows emotional pain uh, of all sort. He knows discouragement. And he understood spiritual pain as well because his heavenly father at one point had to turn his face away from his son and let him die. He knows what rejection is about. So every type of suffering and every type of temptation the Bible says that we ever experience that Jesus knows exactly what it's like. But here's the thing, Jesus never ever allowed his suffering to cause him to sin or to make him bitter. He never sinned in his suffering. And that's distinct from you and I because many times in our suffering, we find that there's some level of sin at least. Jesus though lived out the will of God which included suffering, but overcoming that suffering and showing us how to do that. So he shows us how to endure suffering and how, in fact, to overcome suffering as well. <clears throat> now, we're going to look at the right way to do that in just a few minutes. But first of all, I want to look at the wrong way because a lot of us, when we endure suffering, it, it does make us bitter. It turns us against life. It turns us against God. It turns us against people. Our suffering doesn't do us any good. Let's pick up in verse 3. Peter says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. So here Peter gives away a list of the ways that people choose to find escape from their misery. What do we do when we suffer sometime? We don't handle it in the right way. We do things, he lists them, debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing, idolatry, basically moving away from God. Whenever sin comes or suffering comes into our life, rarely do we really blame the one who's responsible, Satan. It's always somebody else in our life who's causing our problems, or in many cases, it's God that we turn to and we blame God for letting us suffer. 
And I think all of us have been at that point in our life. I can think of moments I wasn't especially proud to ask God, God, what are you, why are you thinking this? Why, why are you letting me go through this? None of us think we deserve the suffering that we often have to go through. And so Peter says these are ways that people choose to act out. It's easy to justify or excuse, excuse ourselves when we suffer and act in these ways that, that hurt others and hurt God and reject God. And that's how a lot of people respond in the human condition. They either medicate themselves with some addiction or they allow suffering in their life to alienate them from the greatest source of health and comfort, which is Jesus Christ. He's available for us, but oftentimes we, we really leave him out of the picture, out of the, for, the formula. And whenever we suffer, oftentimes we become selfish and we lose sight of what's really important and who's really important in our life. And we also lose sight of the suffering that our actions may cause for other people. You know, I heard something say, uh, someone say a long time ago that hurting people hurt people. And that is so true when you think about it, that in our suffering, oftentimes, whatever it may be, we lash out at other people, we speak out to other people, and we hurt them as well. So we don't want to suffer alone, maybe, and so we invite other people in the suffering with us. How many people are currently suffering and at the same time causing other people to suffer as well because they were impacted by someone's behavior who was also hurting as well? You know, we see that a lot in families, to be honest with you, in generations. We call that a generational curse where it just kind of passed down either habits, addictions, or, or um, decisions that, that cause suffering for themselves and other people. And sometimes it's hard to stop because that's all a person might know. We, all we know is this way of living. It's, it's not a good way to living, but that's how, that's how we live. Oftentimes, people use the sin that they've experienced to excuse the sin that they're committing. They'll say things like, you know, you don't have any idea what I've been through. And so, having been through some suffering and some difficulty seems to give us permission to act in a certain way or maybe to impose that on other people as well. So, it's easy for us sometimes to become entitled in this, entitled to our suffering, entitled to our complaining, entitled to our acting out and responding and lashing out and feel like we've earned the right to sin, to almost justify our actions, or maybe develop a victim mentality. Uh, woe is me. Everything always happens to me. And, you know, it's easy to get that in our, in our suffering. We can all get there pretty quickly there. But we can choose to stop it. Peter says that is not the way that we should respond to suffering. Any medicating it with addiction or action or complaining or sin or whatever it may be. And in fact, he says, you understand that even, that's no, you don't get a pass on that, in other words, because we're still going to have to answer for our actions. In verse 5, he says, but they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So Peter says, you don't get a pass. You don't get to do whatever you want because you're suffering because you're going to have to answer for that. You're going to have to answer to your sins and also for the way that you've responded to just normal life. And everybody has to deal with that. So he offers an alternative here. Peter says that we are to arm ourselves or do we are to have the same way of thinking that Jesus had whenever he suffered. So the solution is in every case is Jesus. We look to him. 
And we see how he suffered, and we see how he responded when he did suffer. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, being God, did not expect that he would exempt, be exempt from suffering. He experienced suffering. He became a servant and made himself nothing and became in human likeness. And as appearance as a man, he was obedient to death. Even death was a suffering, obviously, for Jesus. So Jesus used his suffering not to sin, but to serve. His suffering serves us. And Peter says in chapter 2, we read a few weeks ago, let us follow in his steps. Let us become like Jesus. You and I can be like Jesus and help other people even when we're suffering ourselves. And we can grow in our suffering. Tony reminded me of a verse this morning in our prayer time where it says that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. Jesus learned to obey God through the suffering that he had to go through. And there are great lessons like that that we can learn as well. And the next verse to show us how. Peter said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Another version says here that we are to be self-controlled. In other words, that we are to be in control of your emotions and your words and your actions, even when you're in the midst of suffering. What do you do when you suffer? I don't know. A lot of us, you know, we kind of vent and rant when we're going through hard times and everybody kind of gets the brunt of that and we complain about it all the time. Do other people catch our wrath? Do they know we're suffering? Most of us aren't silent about our suffering. We share that with other people, even though they don't always ask. You know, people, how are you? And we tell them they don't really want to know. Uh, so don't ask that question if you don't want to know, all right? Because people who are suffering will oftentimes give you a half an hour version of how they are. And by the way, self-control is something we ought to practice because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit, evidence that God is living in us when we are able to control our words and actions no matter what's going on around us. So Peter said, instead of complaining, <clears throat> instead we should pray. That's the solution. We should pray. We need to express our struggles and our difficulties, but instead of taking our burdens to people, we ought to take them to God. You know, when I was thinking about all the Psalms in the Bible, many of the Psalms are David processing his pain and suffering to God. When you read through those, you'll hear what, what's going on in his life. He is suffering. He's going through some hard times, but, but he's taking it to God, and he's doing that in Psalms and songs and prayers. And he's just processing that pain. Jesus said that we should cast all of our cares and anxiety on him because he cares for us. So we take our suffering to Jesus, and there we lay it down. It, it might be helpful to tell other people what we're going through, but they can't really help you other than praying, right? But, but Jesus, we can take it and lay it down there. And then in the midst of that, we love one another. And let me just say, when you're suffering, it's a great time to seek out love, to have a community that you love, and it's a great time to love people when they're suffering. And you minister to them, they, they need to be loved. In other words, we do what's best for someone else's best interest. We serve them. When you're struggling in life, the best thing you can ever do is to find somebody else who's in need and help them. That is the best Amen. treatment for you. 
Find someone, and you're going to probably find someone who's worse off than you are. And it will make you feel better, not bitter, at life. Peter goes on to say, love deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's a really interesting uh, phrase to me. It's full of meaning. To cover sin means to forgive sin. And forgiveness is associated with love. So the best example of love that covers sin is Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. His death, his suffering literally covered our sins. It forgave our sins. It took care of them. Not only did Jesus pray and ask the Father to forgive those who were actually making him suffer at the time, those who were torturing him, but his ultimate death on the cross covers or forgives our sins and takes them away. So he didn't cover up. He didn't minimize our sins by saying, oh, you'll be fine, you know, they're not that bad, or, or he didn't let them go. He did away with our sin completely. He covered it, and love covers a multitude of sins. You know, today we don't literally have the power to forgive someone of their sins. We can forgive them when they offend us, but we can't forgive their sins, but we can forgive the things that they've done against us and restore them and encourage them in their suffering. And if our suffering has come as a result of the actions of another person, then we need to love them with the love of Christ, and we need to forgive them. That's important. I think that's what Peter's saying there in that scripture. In our suffering, though, what I've found is that we can become very cynical and very critical of people. Suffering seems to give us a pass to say whatever we want about life and other people. But Peter says, don't live that way, to love people. Love doesn't exploit the weaknesses of people. Love doesn't gossip about people. It doesn't undermine people. And when we love deeply, we care about the spiritual condition of people. We're concerned about them, whatever they're going through. James chapter 5 says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That verse connects, I believe, with the verse in Peter there because it's all about healing, restoring, forgiving, and bringing this person back to God. And by the way, when we're suffering, our suffering should drive us to God, not from God. You know, a lot of people have used their suffering as a testimony to tell about the power of God in their lives and pointed people to Jesus. That's what suffering is designed to do. I remember the first person I ever baptized when I was a... um, a teenager probably, it was a lady who had suffered the loss of a sister-in-law in a horrible car accident. And this was a young lady we all loved. She was related to many of us. And she passed away. The victim was a believer. And it was a time of incredible grief. But what this woman saw is she saw Christians had hope in the midst of suffering. She saw a mother who trusted God, who had just lost her daughter, but knew her daughter was in God's hand. She saw a young man who was a believer who just lost his wife, and she saw the hope they had, and she gave her life to Christ. Our suffering should drive us to God to seek Him. Notice the Bible says that instead of turning inward in our suffering, that we would turn outward to God. Whenever we turn inward, we become very isolated and bitter, but when we serve other people, we find healing, we minister to people in their own hurt. We might avoid pain when we avoid people, but we also miss healing and the comfort that comes from other people. And then Peter also says here, don't grumble or complain. That's difficult because that's a a natural, a national disease, isn't it? We all grumble about things all the time. That's really hard because when we suffer, we feel like I need to express my struggle and my hurt. So is it wrong to complain? Can we complain without sinning and without grumbling? I, I don't, I think we can possibly. 
Um, if someone asks you how you are, you should probably tell them and be honest about it. But there's a faithful way to complain and a faithless way to complain. Faithless com complaining is grumbling. Faithless complaining implies that God's not sufficient enough, that God isn't a good God, that He isn't a faithful God, that He doesn't care about, it, He doesn't lo isn't loving and powerful or, or competent. Because if God were really God, the God we think He should be, He would probably treat us different. He would treat us better, right? That's what faithless complaining implies. And that's sinful because it accuses God of doing wrong. It accuses God of failing us in some way. Rather, what we need to have is an honest groaning expression of what it's like to experience the trouble and the anguish and the grief of living in this world. Because we all identify with that. You know, we, we, if we're happy-go-lucky and we just minimize suffering, it doesn't relate and connect with people who are truly suffering. We have to be honest and say, yeah, suffering is real. And we've all experienced that. We're honest about that. And we can, we can explain that. You know, you look in the book of Job, and Job went through a lot of suffering, and he talks about it. He talks about what it's like to go through the middle, middle of it. But that type of complaining, I believe, is welcome to God, even encouraged by God, bringing our, our, our hurts to God. I mentioned the Psalms a few moments ago. Do you realize that almost a third of them are songs of lament? They're songs of sorrow and sadness, reaching out to God for hope and comfort. In them, the writers pour out their sorrow and anger and grief and longing and fusion and, and, uh, and desolation, disappointment, depression. And so when we express those to God, there's nothing wrong with that. God knows that we're going to suffer, and God wants us to bring our burdens to Him. Jesus said, "Lay your, th throw your anxieties on Him, and He will take them away. Now, they're going to sound like complaints. It's hard not to make them sound like complaints. But in reality, if we do it with faith and believe that God's a good God and cares for us, God's going to hear and God's going to answer our prayers. And God knows the heart that where our, our uh, faithful complaining comes from, if you will. Now, the last session of Scripture here in our play today reminds us that we are partners together with each other and with God. And so we have a mutual and corporate responsibility to help each other in our sufferings. God has given us that. We're partners together. He said, each of you should use whatever gift you've been received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So what Peter's saying here is that God has given us each other to help whenever we struggle, that we don't have to struggle alone, that there are people in our lives and we need people who are close, who know us, and who have the right to speak into our life, but, but understand our hearts whenever we suffer. The Bible says that we have been comforted so that we can comfort others. That's a beautiful thought. You may go through something, a suffering, and then discover someday that there's another person who goes through the same thing. And God has equipped you to help them walk through that. That means that whenever we're suffering through something, someone's already been there before. We're not the first one to go through it. Jesus, of course, has been tempted in every way as us, but also other believers who can understand and comfort and encourage us. And we do the same to them. We can help other people by telling them how we got through it and how God was faithful and how we came out the other side. Or maybe we can tell them how we blew it. You know, we could have done, handled it better. If I had to do it over again, that's what I would do and be honest with them. So that's what it means to serve other people in their suffering and to be there for them. 
Of course, he also talks about other gifts. So if you have gifts, you have practical things that you can serve people when they're suffering. If there's a practical need, don't just pat them on the hand and say, good luck, I hope you get to feel them better, but actually do what they need, meet their need. You have a gift, you have the abilities, the resources to do that, we're to do that as well. But we're to be there for them and encourage them. Peter also reminds us here that all have spiritual gifts that were given to us in our baptism that equip us for the work of ministry and to serve the, the body of Christ as a whole. Some of the spiritual gifts that might help someone who's suffering would include discernment and encouragement and shepherding and faith and service, helping, showing mercy, giving, hospitality. All those things are gifts, spiritual gifts the Bible talks about that says we've been given and they would be very helpful to someone who might be going through a very specific type of suffering. When people suffer, they need the healing and the ministering hand of the body of Christ to help them. And that is kind of how we all get swept into the, the healing of suffering people in our world, both within the church and outside the church. Peter says that we ought to be used what we've been given and that we ought to be the stewards of God's grace. The idea of a steward or a manager is the idea that, uh, uh, that God's the owner of all your life that God has given you. We don't understand why God gives some people more and others less. We don't understand why God gives some people more suffering and other people seemingly a very little suffering in their life. God is the manager of everything. We're stewards of the life that God's given us. All you have and you as well belongs to him. An example of this would be uh, if you were to have some money and you were to have it entrusted to someone to manage it for you. They would be managing it, but it really belongs to you, right? At the end of the day, it comes back to you. That's how we are with God. God has given us this life. He said, enjoy this life. You're going to have the ups and downs and good and bad, but use this life for me and one day return it back to me. We are manager of what God gives us. Everything that we have in life, including our suffering, is a gift that God's given us. Our money, our time, our gifts, our moments, our opportunities, our relationships, everything belongs to God. And you know, I think sometimes people are reluctant to make that decision to give their life to God because they think, well, you know, if I give my life to God, then that means my life isn't my own anymore and it belongs to God. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you make that decision or not, your life is not your own. It still belongs to God. You may be trying to live your life without God in it and without his help and wisdom. And when you don't have God in your life and you suffer, I don't know how you get through. This past week, we had a funeral of a, of a friend of mine um, that passed away too young. And there were people, if you kept saying, there were believers there, and I'm sure there were non-believers there. But, but I heard people keep saying, I don't know how you do this without Jesus, without hope. I don't know how you suffer through the loss of a loved one without hope. I don't know how you go through the, the heartbreakness of a, an illness without, without Jesus, without the hope that we have in Him. And understanding that everything we are and everything we have belongs to Him, and we lay it down for Him, and then we live the life He's called us to live, and we're faithful. And it's easy for some, and it's hard for others. But let me just tell you this. Every person who has ever lived belongs to God, the Creator. He's the owner of all he, and we are the steward of the manager, the good and the bad. And whether it's joy or suffering, we bring it to God. So let me ask you this. How are you managing the life that God has given to you? How are you managing the time that God's given you? How are you managing even the suffering that God's brought into your life? 
Nobody, none of us want to suffer, but, but if it comes, how do you manage that suffering? Do you try to find a way out of the suffering? Do you medicate the suffering with something that isn't helpful? Do you sin in your suffering, or do you find a positive direction for that? And are you concerned about the spiritual future, your spiritual success? You know, we have to keep the mindset of a steward. It belongs to God. We just manage it for him. And if we're not faithful, then we're kind of stealing from God, whatever it may be. And one day we're going to be held accountable for that. Let me give you four ways that people manage uh, what God's given them. First one is godless, the godless way of management. I'm the owner. I'm the steward. I do what I want with what I have. God isn't in the picture at all. So many people live their life in that way without a never thought that God owns their life. A second way is a selfish Christian. The selfish Christian says, I'm the owner and God's my servant. God exists for me. He does what he wants, so he, ought to, uh, uh, he does what I want, or he should anyway. And I don't exist for God, he exists for me. The third type of uh, manager is a lazy Christian, and that is that God does it all. I don't do anything. I just keep my hands off the wheel. God does it all. And the fourth one is a godly Christian. says, God's the owner. I'm the steward. I ask God, what do you want me to do with my time, my money, my gifts, my suffering? How do I live out this in a way that honors you? And how we respond to our suffering is going to be determined by the strength of our faith. Decisions that we make. And suffering will in turn strengthen our faith. And it will suffice for the future. He will be faithful for us. There is no doubt in that whatsoever. If we stand for Jesus, he will provide for us, even if it's unjust suffering. You know, we talked about physical suffering. We, t we talked about um, emotional, even, um, you know, f spiritual, physical, emotional, all types of suffering, mental suffering. But here's the thing, in life sometimes there are going to be occasions where it's totally unfair and where we suffer for the things that we hold dear and believe. I want to just wrap up with a story. I read a story about a guy named Ross McKnight. He's a duck farmer, uh, an odd kind of farmer, but he's a duck farmer in Louisiana, and he's a believer. And uh, so he would share his faith. And so uh, um, in, in the month of June, he made a Facebook post in response to the LGBT uh, designation of June is Pride Month. He didn't say anything at all about that. He simply said that instead of pride, we should be humble, and we should, we should rest in God. We should submit to Christ. That's all he said. But a boycott was set against his family's small business. He's a small business owner, and he lost two-thirds of his business. I mean, that's the sort of thing you think, well, that is totally unfair. Not even, no attack, just simply making a statement of faith to say that we should be humble and not proud. However, Ross remains faithful and humble and trusts that God's going to provide for all of his family needs. I want to tell you, I think that's what it means to suffer unjustly. And we will never feel, probably, if we're honest, that, that our suffering is fair. But when it comes and we trust God and we just re retain the course and we're faithful through it, God is going to provide for us. And that means that we as church family need to encourage and teach this and live this and model this. And when suffering comes to us, hopefully we have the strength of faith that we will stand firm, that we will stand firm. Because remember also, Peter says that all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. And in verse 7, he said, the ends of all things, the end of all things is near. You know, let me just say this, that suffering doesn't last forever. Not only the end of the earth near, but, but suffering has an end, and it has a season, and then it's gone. And, and we would like for that to be sooner than later, but many times it's not.
but God is faithful through all of that. And I would encourage you to run to him for hope, for strength in, at all times, but especially in those times of hurt and longing. We're going to go to a time of response now, and I'm going to be up front. Tony will be here. Um, we'll be available for, to pray. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe this is your season right now, and you're going through this time, and you need someone just to pray with you and, and just to, to remind you of the hope that you have in Christ or maybe to help give you that hope in Christ. We would love to share with you in that time. So let's, let's bow together in a word of prayer, and then we'll go to a time of response. Father, thank you for your holy word. Father God, thank you that Jesus set the example and modeled how to suffer. God, thank you that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. And Lord, I pray that we would always look for the lessons that would come, lessons of wisdom or lessons of faith, God, that we might gain in those difficult times of life. Father, I pray that you would uh, strengthen our faith, uh, God, for coming suffering, because we know that it's, uh, it's going to come to all of us, Lord, in some way. Uh, but we know that you're faithful, God, and we cling to you and we turn to you. You're always going to provide the strength to endure. And God, if, if there's a temptation that's suffering, you're going to give us the strength to overcome that. God, we love you. We worship you. Uh, we just come now to give our lives to you again fresh this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.